0: Life is shit. Look out your window for a moment. Probably grey, I should expect. Grey outside. A grey, sprawling metropolis, stained by the urine of man and beast, dead flowers, leafless trees, the branches brittle, crawling up to the sky like the capillaries of a darts player's wife. Look down. Look at your torso. Something that was lean, nubile, perhaps more akin to the torso of a Spartan hoplite now closely resembles a pile of cowwood stapled together and rolled across the floor of busy hairdressers. Now the hands, look at your hands! The hands that were going to play the chords of a genre-defining album, pen the great novel of the 2020s. The same hands that would grasp firmly around the brush and paint the next epoch-shattering work of art. Now more familiar with the stained, yellowing keys, typing stupid emails to twats who have surrendered their lives to institutional pettiness and sycophantic twattery. That's okay, because you can go on your phone. There are plenty of people on your phone that can give you meaning. Get into crypto. Listen to the ramblings of people who release self-help books that tell you repeatedly to be a shark. To treat your office space or any place of work like an ocean, you're the one big, dirty, naughty, feisty shark. Or maybe hang out with your mates. They'll have answers for all of your problems as well. As you spend time with them, quietly sipping away at an overpriced IPA made by some mustache twat in his rich dad's London basement, listening to them chat away about people you don't know, jobs that pay better than yours, and Ron Seal.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Ron Seal. <laughs>
0: Ron Seal, yeah. Sponsored by Ron Seal. No, we're not sponsored by Ron Seal, but if you're there, anyone from Ron Seal... <laughs> cinema boys to cinema men, episode eight. Episode eight. Hello, hello. Hope you're well. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there's a chance you feel like any of the above just mentioned. You're in the right place, aren't yeah. you, Ben? I think so. We are the last vestige of optimism. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only, uh, only genuine thing you'll hear ever, ever, <laughs> <laughs> ever. Um, join us as we unravel some of these feelings mm. through the lens of cinema, chiefly the existential film. In this discussion this week, we'll be discussing existentialism as a philosophy, its application to our own lives, and of course the films and characters that have shaped our understanding of it within the medium. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. Expect a beefy one. It's going to be, yeah, a,
1: a a bit of a tonally different one from our from last week, I feel. Yes, yeah. I think,
0: you know, we very much enjoyed dismantling Marvel and Disney. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, we're back to highbrow now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back. Yeah, yeah. So, enjoy. Enjoy. Questing
1: the Cinematic Void.
0: So then before we sort of get into the meat and potatoes of the discussion, i.e. the film centred part of the discussion, we felt that it was important perhaps to give a little, I guess, sort of explanation of existentialism a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean we're sort of straying into topics that perhaps are a bit <laughs> out of our reach. Lofty. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um we are by no means philosophers. No. Um school of life, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, learn it on the job. Yeah, you know. We've all you know, we've all learnt it. But I think it's really important to at least preface the discussion with an explanation of it, albeit a probably terrible one. (laughs) So, essentially, existentialism is the belief that we are responsible for creating purpose and meaning in our own lives. Mm. Okay? So we are in charge. Yeah. We can sculpt our future, our destiny, ourselves. Mm -hmm. So this idea, I mean, obviously it sounds quite commonplace now. I think a lot of people are quite... Uh, more than comfortable, with the idea of having control over their own lives, yeah, yeah. control over where they want to go in life. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this idea was actually really revolutionary because it sort of challenged one of the the sort of central philosophical ideas that existed since the birth of philosophy in Greece. Mm. This idea of essentialism that basically everything has a pre-made property. Okay. So, in the terms of the of humans, you mm. have a set path before you that is predetermined. Right. This tends to sort of tie quite nicely with obviously. Um, theology that's religion. Isn't yeah it? yeah effect, yeah you know the idea that you have a predetermined path mm. decided to you by some sort of deity or yeah. godlike being or fate or whatever
1: more comforting yes yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: but fellows like nietzsche and soren kierkegaard who are sort of the you know or particularly kierkegaard um sort of one of the first people to sort of bring about this idea of the existential thought or the sort of foundational ideas of existential thought um they start to challenge this idea with What would ultimately ultimately become existentialism. Mm. And it's an idea that really took off um, after the Second World War. So the guy that really pushed it was Jean-Paul Sartre. Okay. Uh, And he latched on to this this idea and expanded it further in the context of the post-war environment, which was, you know, how could you have this essentialist belief? Everyone has a predetermined path if things like the Holocaust yeah and a war that killed like sixty 70 million people can happen. Mm. you know so a lot of people are abandoning faith, abandoning these ideas of these sort of predetermined fates, yeah after living what is arguably the darkest hour of the human race mm. um, collectively speaking. So they start talking about this idea of the self, the, the importance of the self, and that essentially the freedom is ours. We have the freedom to decide our own lives, yeah. what we do, which is also comforting. Yes, I think so Yeah A lot of people find that discomforting I think this is sort of a theme we're going to incur- explore a lot in the film mm. Is it this freedom
1: In, the, po- c- in the podcast <laughs> What did I say? We're making a film You said in the film <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit, I haven't brought my camera yeah, Oh god, yeah oh dear. This isn't a film,
0: we have been making films <laughs> um, Yeah, in the podcast We're going to be sort of exploring films that deal with the idea of this burden of too much freedom mm. So, if you have all this freedom that's quite anxiety-inducing because now you don't have a predetermined path. Yeah. It's not been instructed to you by religion or by a teacher or by some sort of inherent idea within society.
1: Yeah. It's your
0: choice. Mm. So you're left to make these decisions for yourself. And that is a burden. Yeah. A burden is arguably ex- exacerbated when you are going up against a lot of these institutions that still exist. Yeah. That... um arguably do dictate a lot of the way in which your life will go Mm. regardless of what path you decide to take the work you put in there's a lot of people out there that say work hard and you'll get where you want to be which I'm sure is true in a lot of cases but I think you know there are a lot of socio-cultural and political apparatus that can prevent that yeah in a lot of circumstances it's more
1: nuanced than
0: if you work hard you'll get rewarded yes Yeah, yeah 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 I mean, you only hear the people, the stories from people that have succeeded, right? You never really hear, you never hear the people that say. History is written by the winners. Yeah, yeah, I I, I bet it all and and now I live in my mum's garage. You know, no yes. no, no, no one's going to... No one's going to... Uh,
1: Listen to them. <laughs> no, yeah, no one's going to go, oh, this guy seems
0: like he knows what he's on about. I'm going to carry on listening. Wow, yeah. look at that. He's, he's using his mum's bike as a bed frame. <laughs> this guy's got his life together. Another thing that extensionism does, and I think this ties in particularly when we start talking about the work of Charlie Kaufman, mm. is the absurd. So it's not necessarily the idea that life can be silly. The absurd is more sort of the search for answers in a meaningless or answerless world it's the idea of being born into a meaningless place that then requires you to make meaning and this absurdist idea posts that there is no rules as we've said no truths that religion would offer no guidelines ignore it all and you develop your own code to live by both in the decisions you make but also morally yeah you can see already that obviously this is could be quite a burden yeah yeah um but in Order to sort of combat that, Sartre offers the idea about living authentically. It sort of means you have to live with the sort of responsibility uh, of controlling your own freedom, despite the absurd, so despite the meaningless, you can still have a sense of control. Okay. okay. So if you didn't, if you th- if you surrendered to control, then you are living an absurd life in the eyes of Sartre. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's sort of it, really. That's a sort of whistle-stop tour through right. the ideas of existentialism. Yeah. It's, an, it's an idea that I've um, been drawn to, certainly in my sort of 20s when I have sort of read a couple of yeah. books and thought, oh I, oh, I feel it. Oh, I feel it, yeah. man.
1: You know, <laughs> that sort
0: of hazy phase of your life where you think it's cool. You have them on your bookshelf to sort of, like, yeah. look cool. But as I've got older and I've started to understand it a little bit more, again, I, to, to call my knowledge of this stuff cursory would being insult to people <laughs> who had a cursory <laughs> knowledge, but... You know i think it it's a it's an idea that's grown more and more in the forefront of my mind as i've sort of i don't know sort of navigated life and had various jobs and dealt with weird people within those jobs <laughs> who, you know and I just yeah, think it's yeah. something that that's grown within me i guess what are your sort of thoughts about it is it is it a
1: philosophy you subscribe to? Increasingly, same as you, absolutely. Increasingly, I ha- actually didn't attribute it to like existentialism at all. I saw it very much in the context of religion versus science. Okay, it's, it's a very similar set of frameworks, right? Yes, and um, I think science is, by definition, a rule book. So, it, but it's not a rule book about meaning. Mm. It's a rule book about. Uh, it's an observational framework, right? You yeah. can, you have. You, it's, this isn't something that has been decided on based on experience it 's based on facts yeah. and uh, and s- studies and things like that um and I think yeah the idea of yeah existentialism ties in really well with that so i've 've explored. Definitely in my twenties, a lot more. I'm suddenly fascinated by physics. Right? Didn't give a shit about it at school. <laughs> I thought it was really badly taught and boring, and it was all about like algebra and stuff. And now I'm like absolutely fascinated by it. I think it's like really. I mean, the lack of meaning is so bizarrely <laughs> meaningful yeah. to me. I'm just there's yeah. a great. I think it's Brian Cox who was just like. I mean, he he wasn't kind of bashing Christianity or anything like that at all. But he was he did just say like. Like what more do you want? Like we've discovered all these things, and we, we can yeah. photograph it, and like this is what we've found, and like what more do you need? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, in that way, I think it's yeah fascinating. But I didn't realise that it was so closely linked.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people assume that um, existentialism is anti-religious. It isn't really. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. The origins of it date back to the sort of to the to the era of Kierkegaard. Mm. Uh, And he was religious. He believed in the idea of a creator. He just wasn't convinced that the creator put you on the earth to do some predetermined or a set of predetermined things. Mm. So it's not necessarily something that's anti-religious. But I like your idea that your sort of existentialist thoughts have taken you to like a new subject area to try and make sense of it all. Turning to science to try and make sense of... Yeah, yeah, just the unanswerable.
1: You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I don't. I'm, you're totally right. I don't think you know. I can discount religion. No, not from at all, at all, because you don't need to. The, the, the wonderful thing about science is, and the wonderful thing, I guess, about existentialism, is, you know, with those higher questions about higher being, the answer isn't no. It's we don't know, mm. right? I mm. think that's, and that is kind of weirdly comforting to me. Absolutely, and I think that should govern a lot of our uh... the way we behave. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think yeah, like I said, for me, it's it's something that I've grown, and I don't know, like the idea of the absurd is something that really s- sticks out to me. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know, like I really struggle to not see the absurdity in so much stuff, mm. and I don't, and, and I'm also conscious that I, because I went through that phase, like I said, of reading it and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like <laughs> I'm gonna go buy a beret, which I never did, no. but um, I was basically there. <laughs> um, you know, you don't want to be one of those people that t- sees no value in anything. Because, yeah. you know, that's not really what existentialism is, really. Mm. Nor is it a, a healthy way to live your life. I don't think it's particularly healthy to have a yeah. sort of explicitly nihilistic out, outlook. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, but I think it encourages you to sort of see value in things away from, I don't know, sort of fiscal
1: areas. Yeah. Or, or, or
0: more monetary, not... For, yeah, monetary things and maybe physical
1: things. And, Day, day-to-day things, like yeah. routine. I think people can become weirdly obsessed with routine and that's yeah. a great way to break away from it is just to kind of, yeah, embrace the absurd because absurdity by its very nature is, I guess, a lack of routine, right? It's, it's yeah. disorder and that's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think, I, I, you know, I like it. It's also worth pointing out as well we might, through some of the films we're going to discuss, we're going to discuss the sort of more questionable acts of the, of the philosophy. There's a lot of ideas about existentialism in terms of morality and mm. the sort of darker aspects of human behaviour. How does existentialism answer to those things? So Yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be worth, certainly with the, one of the films that we both have watched fairly recently, I think that'll phrase quite nicely. Death. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Which we'll reveal later. So I'm telling you now for some reason. Yeah, got to like, keep the tension up. We're like Davina. We're like, ears. Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I guess... We want to start talking about films then, really. Yeah, let's uh, do it. this isn't yeah. a sort of um, armchair philosophy podcast. This mm. is a film podcast, after all. So we're going to start with Charlie Kaufman, mm. uh, a filmmaker and screenwriter. I think has had a profound impact not only on the medium of cinema but both of us. Yeah, I think, arguably, I think he is one of the most inventive filmmakers. Yes, yeah, right now u-
1: certainly unique. Yeah. Um, his ability to bring that uniqueness to kind of, I wouldn't say mainstream, but on the fringes of mainstream mm. films, especially with uh, films like being John Malkovich yep. and adaptation yeah, specifically. Yeah, yep. agreed. Uh, I actually haven't seen Anomalisa, but I've heard good things. Anyway,
0: yeah, great film performed. To- terribly at the box office which is a theme of his more recent work which Mm. i think is worth discussing a little bit later on because it's so fucking infuriating that that's the case but something to talk about i think what makes him so great alongside of the sort of cinematic stuff is i just feel like he is one of the most honest filmmakers because of the way he sort of willingly submits to complete vulnerability through self-reflexivity in his films Mm. so he's not afraid to sort of explore the sort of gnawing anxieties that eat away at him both personally and creatively you know he's also not afraid to explore the parts of ourselves that we obscure from others be that the desires we have uh the wants and needs the hopes shortcomings those things that we obscure to to the apparent betterment of (laughs) ourselves yeah and also like the wounds the wounds that the psychological wounds, the deep wounds that haunt us and define us. You know, mm. I think he, if you look across all of his films, are examples of all of those things. And then, of course they're all driven by that, that word existential angst. Yeah. Yes. Uh, existential angst. It's sort of in the same ballpark as existential crisis, a phrase I think you hear a lot of people say. Oh yeah. Yeah. Commonplace. This idea of not f- knowing where you are, what you're doing, suddenly awakening in your life and then looking back and forwards and thinking shit. Yeah. And yeah. panicking. Yeah. Um, I think his films are totally driven by that. Oh, yeah. Almost explicitly. I mean, there are other ideas which he uses to explore the ideas of existential angst in his films. But I think it's something we alluded to earlier, but it's about the feelings of powerlessness that are exacerbated when stacked up against the expectations of the world. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So we said I said that briefly in our deeply penetrative analysis <laughs> of existentialism <laughs> in the conversation's <laughs> opening. But, you know, I think that's when it becomes all the more obvious mm. the feelings that you have the things you, these some of them inexplicable some of them is e- more easier to articulate but never able to properly express yeah unless around a very small group of people it'd be quite it almost like creates its own confinement within which can only deepen these feelings and yeah i don't know i just i just think he does it there's few filmmakers that do it with such
1: energy like him yeah he um i'm specifically talking about adaptation a little bit actually. oh yeah go for it. Um there's a there's a bit at the beginning the first scene uh, which is it, it, even though it's I'm not talking about being John Malkovich but the first scene is set on, it is set on the set of being John Malkovich right yeah and there's uh, it's like a kind of behind the scenes mock up and it zooms in on Kaufman or uh, the the titular Kaufman I guess he is played by Nicolas Cage but it's oh, yes. effectively uh, Kaufman or Kaufman and he's just he's he's just observing in the distance right he's just like looking around and he looks so anxious and just yeah. so uncertain about everything. He's got a kind of he's almost signature pained expression and just yeah. confusion. And I think Charlie Kaufman creates sort of uns- existential uncertainty by sort of forcing his characters to observe other people. You know, like, okay, yeah, like asking questions like, "Why am I not not like them?" So, yeah. okay. Uh, and, you, you know, why is it that I have to put effort into things that others seem to kind of coast through? Okay. And, and I, yep. I think, it's but, you know, adaptation is just that as a film. It's, it's just, this guy is just struggling so much with things like stupid male things, right, like balding uh, and uh, want, wanting to be good at what he does. And yeah. It's, it's just... You know, the the film is effectively about him adapting an unadaptable book, right, about orchids. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The fact that he's so wrapped up in wanting to be normal, um, that's where that existential angst and existential crisis comes from in all his films. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I agree.
0: No, I love. That. I particularly love the idea of uh, existential angst through observation. Yeah, yeah. So observing people that just seem to have their life so together. Yeah, exactly. and people that can
1: sort of just yeah. I mean, that's exacerbated by things like advertising and uh, magazines with thin mm. people on them. Right, that's a yeah. like, very common common thing that a lot of people have like take issue with nowadays. Uh, and it's that it's it's uncertainty through observation and mm. wondering like why do i not why do i feel like i don't fit in it's quite a basic uh, and very widespread way of thinking about who you are but yeah not that's that's what kaufman i think does really well
0: he does i think he manages to make those themes and ideas simultaneously engaging and 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 sort of accessible yeah, but also yeah. really complex at the same <laughs> yeah, time yeah. <laughs> um and i think the way he achieves that complexity is through his approach to like narrative structure Mm. he plays with time a lot in his movies doesn't he oh yeah yeah definitely and there's that sort of surrealist tone i mean i know again surrealism is a tone that gets banded around (laughs) a lot but i think with Kaufman it's completely merited right i think few people would argue that he isn't brilliant at it he's yeah he's earned it yeah Yeah. and i think like surrealism lends itself brilliantly to existentialism they almost Mm. can go hand in hand yeah because he can use that sort of approach of cutting up time uh flitting between various iterations of the same character yeah um different mental states of each character but in mm-hmm. a way that speaks so much to, to the sort of the sort of pulsating anxieties and worries and narcissistic tendencies yeah that are within all of his characters um because i think that's a really interesting thing about it as well he i think one, one of the more comedic elements of his treatment of the existential ideas in his films is the way that his characters come across a bit narcissistic a bit self-absorbed yeah oh yes but they're not evil they're not bad and Mm. in many ways through his approach to narrative you're with them
1: in a way that you don't dislike them for that no you don't necessarily identify with them i mean at least i i didn't really but you don't at the same time you don't you kind of understand where they're coming from right yeah It's, it's an extreme example of i mean i'm speaking only for myself at the moment but it's an extreme example of the anxieties that everyone Faces, yeah, I think. Interesting. Um, okay, that's what I. Sort of, yeah,
0: because I, I think I think Kaufman is very sincere. Yeah, and I think he. You know, I've seen him in interviews. I've watched a few interviews in preparation for this podcast Ooh, research. Research, <laughs> um, but um, he's clearly quite an anxious fella. I've heard stories um, from st-
1: like studio execs to say he's quite difficult to approach. Yeah, quite yeah, difficult to to give notes to. And um I th- yeah, yeah he
0: is he's he is and I, I really like that about him actually yeah
1: me too um but i think um he's he's kind of a he's sort of a uh he has final cut by proxy then doesn't he <laughs> yeah he doesn't which is never- so bizarre <laughs> yeah, for someone yeah, yeah. that sort of makes films about being powerless <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean i wonder how much of the
0: fight he might have to put up I'm, mm-hmm. i imagine even now so after the sort of poor uh, box office success of two of his recent films, or well, not his recent films, but his most recent films. Yeah, was that, um, um,
1: I'm thinking of Ending Things? Uh, that... Before then. Oh, so, okay. Sorry, yeah. I
0: forgot about uh, thinking of ending, of ending Things. I'm thinking um, Anomalies, um, uh... and Synecdoche, New York. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, Synecdoche, New York particularly is a, just a sprawling, I think it's just probably, I don't know if it's my favourite film of his. I I'd, I'd sort of maybe should have thought about ranking them in my head beforehand, but with a filmmaker that you cherish so much, it's so hard. Yeah, oh God, yeah. yeah. Um But it's just a brilliant, brilliant film. And the mm. fact that that didn't make his money back is... It's a shame. Even make his money back is a shame. Yeah, yeah. Moving on slightly from that, I think back to the honesty, even if there are maybe perhaps extreme examples of anxiety mm. or bordering on being neurotic, yeah, yeah. I think it's the honesty that allows you to connect with him, even if those, him and his characters, mm. even if you know they may appear extreme because uh, his honesty isn't lost on you on you as, as an audience member and uh, I think no. when you feel the honesty you you connect with even the most extreme
1: versions of himself perhaps in his characters yeah actually you know what i do maybe i maybe i did kind of jump the gun a bit with saying that you don't connect with him i th- i do remember in an adaptation warming to his plight a lot more especially in the third act when it gets really weird with like the alligators and stuff yeah 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 <laughs> and the, he, he has a conversation with his brother in the woods when they're all lost and that that's a really really sweet moment if I remember correctly I can't even remember what the conversation's about but it's a pretty existential one if yeah, I yeah
0: yeah yeah I don't know yeah I just yeah I, I think he's I've said it already but he's just one of the my absolute favourites and someone mm. that if you're not I mean I assume if you're listening you you, you have a Same levels of passion for us. So obviously, I assume you probably have seen his work. But on the off chance you're listening and aren't familiar, check his films out. Charlie Kaufman. You know, he's yeah one of the best. Brilliant. Yeah. Why do you think? Just quickly before we move on, why do you think his films haven't been that successful commercially speaking?
1: Uh, I think they are really difficult to market. Okay, because I'm um, fucking. Hell, how do you market adaptation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, how do you? I mean, being you market. You Mouth... market New York. I mean, yeah. fucking hell. I mean, that mm. is because you can't even put Nicolas Cage on the poster because Kaufman is, like you say, so honest about you know what well, the majority of blokes in their kind of early. That he's end up looking like, that you can't really put him on the poster. The poster's him, uh, it's like a broken flower pot with half his face. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not off-putting, I think it's really creative, but if I saw that, and if I didn't know it was Kaufman, and if I saw that in the cinema, like, uh, on the wall, I'd be like, hmm, alright. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. I mean? They're just yeah. very, they're very hard to mark. I remember um, Synecdoche, New York, having a really bizarre... Or the, they were in the the marketing strategies between in New York and Holy Motors were interchangeable. I get those right, friends okay. confused oh, okay. because the posters are so similar. And oh really? I yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I, maybe I'm, I'm thinking. I don't know. I might be wrong in that assumption. I'm sure we'll get uh, hundreds of tweets <laughs> explaining the key and intricate differences you know, between yeah. Twitter. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I think that's that's the answer really. Difficult to market, and maybe also it might be difficult for audiences to accept that that honesty. Yeah, it's a lack of escapism, which is something we talked about last week, and it yeah. might be that. Yeah, yeah, I think you. Yeah, you've just sort of taken the words out of my mouth there. I
0: think there are a few films of that ilk that achieve the kind of success that spills over from, you know, the independent seek scenes into mainstream. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I mean, I think that idea that as film as escapism, as we discussed earlier, as you said, is something yeah. that rings true. And I don't think a lot of people who have that idea about what film is are going to be that driven to watch a film about some neurotic <laughs> fella sort of unpacking yeah. his anxieties about the modern world. Mm. With, you know, very palpable and real anxieties that can probably be applied to. Your own life, but yeah. if you want to escape, it's probably not the best person yeah, to go no, no, to, no. is he really? No. As much as I love him, and as much as I would defend him to the hilt, um, but I don't know because you, you know, sometimes you get films that really do spill over and do have a sort of broader appeal. I mean, yeah. you have sort of mentioned um, being John Malkovich. I mean, I'm not saying it was like a, a, a the kind of hit that sprawled across all areas of of the box office, yeah. But it's a film that a lot of people know of, mm. so clearly there there was at some point an appetite for him beyond the realms of
1: yeah people that were just in love with his work also being being John Malkovich can be explained in a sentence it's you know right you so again from a marketing standpoint it's pretty straightforward you can just say oh this is a film however absurd it sounds you can like the film is about someone gaining access to being to John Malkovich's head yeah Yeah, and you like like, okay bloody hell that sounds really weird but might be interesting and like films like adaptation synecdoche new york and i'm thinking of ending things they're a bit more difficult to explain uh maybe
0: i don't know i mean i'm sure there are lots of variables that perhaps i should have researched before asking the question but (laughs) i don't know it's an interesting point and it's a really sad point perhaps to end this part of the discussion on because
1: Mm.
0: we love them so much but there we go yeah so the next film we we wanted to discuss so we're going to sort of um uh, zero in our focus a little bit not just focus necessarily on the work of a particular filmmaker but a particular film now Mm. this is a film that upon deciding last week this would be the topic we would discuss was the first film that came to my mind and the film that i subsequently lent to you ben Yes, uh, to yeah. watch in preparation for this episode, and that is five EC pieces. Yeah, so a film from the nineteen from 1970, yep. director Bob Raffleson, part of this um, new Hollywood bunch. Yes, he'd worked on as a producer Easy Rider beforehand. Okay, so you're already getting this idea of the tone and yeah, the yeah. sort of style of filmmaking that is gonna that he's going to bring to the table as a director. I, and I, I don't know, like the, it just sort of came to me straight away as one of the quintessential American. Films about ex- these existential feelings, yeah, yeah. Um, in a way that it sort of packages them. If I can use the term, packages them, because it sort of cheapens it. But it really explores what it is to feel completely lost, whilst both reflecting on the necessity to try and find some sense of meaning, but also how much damage you, you can do to yourself and others. Oh,
1: in absolutely. the pursuit of that meaning, yeah, yeah, definitely. That was that was what was so surprising because I I thought um, when I popped it in the old DVD player, Blu-ray player actually, sorry. Oh, <laughs> steady on, don't get that wrong. I thought I was, at the very least, going to sort of like the guy. Yeah. And um, whilst he's not a total write-off, he exhibits some very unintentionally destructive traits, so he, like, he's very, very unfaithful to his sort of uh, partner, isn't he? Mm. And... Um, and the way he treats his family is he's indifferent to a lot of things, mm. and he is and it's all in the pursuit of something better, like you know the greener- greener pastures effectively yeah, and he's a bit he's kind of you get the impression that he's sort of taken on a sort of semi not nomadic but he's a bit of a bit of a drifter he's not locked into anything, and he's mm. quite proud of that, isn't he yeah um he doesn't ever find meaning in the in the no. film he, that and i think that's the point is. To to kind of overindulge on the the idea of finding meaning is actually to lose meaning. Yeah, <laughs> lose the yeah, people yeah. that you love and and maybe cultivate relationships that are aren't the best and are like more destructive than you might realise. Mm-hmm. You can act selfishly and your behaviour can be quite sort of cavalier. And there's a great part at the end of this of this film where he sort of realises this a little bit when when he's talking to his dad do yeah. you remember that right, yeah, yeah, right yeah. at the end And uh, the, the,
0: Jack Nicholson by the way is in the, mm. the lead sorry to interrupt you Ben but no, no, no he had real issues with that scene with the director
1: oh really so
0: Bob Raffleson essentially said to him that, you know, they would meet and deconstruct the character and mm. what the character was going to do and Raffleson said to him you need to have one scene where you cry yes yeah um, Jack Nicholson was dead against it. Right, he okay. was really vehemently against it. Mm, <laughs> vehemently <laughs> vehemently yeah. against it. You know, he really um, didn't think it suited the character, and suited the tone of the movie. Okay, but he did it anyway. Oh, uh, really? And, and uh, Raffleson, I was watching an interview with about it, research, <laughs> and he was saying that he, you know, he basically all the crew left the set, the set, oh, and he okay. shot it holding the boom, looking away. So I'm actually looking away from the mic. So yeah. yeah. Here, so, um, and shot the scene, and he didn't even he didn't even see the take. Oh, really? And which which drew, drew further eye from Jack Nicholson. And then, well, that's the only scene you're getting, the only take you're getting. Wow. In the film. There you go. So, but no, it ends up being one of the most important scenes in the film. I'll give it. I'll give the reins back to you. But I oh, felt that no, was no. interesting to sort of like just you know force it in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he and he, the realization it's a slight realisation because the behaviour afterwards, it largely sort of goes back to the way he was afterwards. Um, yeah, yeah. But he, he does realise this and it's because he's, fed, he's sort of shagged his brother's missus, hasn't he? Yeah. And he's, he's attached, yeah. <laughs> he's attached meaning to that relationship really quickly and she's a bit taken aback by that. And she's like, well, hold on a minute, this is meant to be a sort of a bit of an adulterous fling. Yeah. So yeah, he's really quickly gone from being this like sort of morally reckless Drifter to to like kind of attaching almost out of desperation, leaning like yeah. onto this new woman, mm-hmm. um, and then her reaction to that is obviously naturally slightly uh, cautious. Yeah, yeah, she's very <laughs> cool. she's cautious, right? Yeah. She's like, Jesus Christ, yeah, guy. yeah. Um, and that is when he realizes. I think that's when he has that moment with his dad, mm, and um, mm. but. It, it, the, the switch in his mind is like, right, something's got to change. in the way, I mean, we're going to spoiler territory from a film from the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> but the way he deals with that is the exact same way that he's dealt with things before, which is to, to run away. And, yeah. You know, tr- try and find those greener pastures again. And that was really powerful, I thought, that kind of... Yeah. That ending and that um that loop, you know, it's a, <laughs> yeah. unfortunate.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a, yeah, great little bit of insight there. <laughs> no, genuinely, I think it, it, what I really love about the film is we sort of talked about its attempt to find meaning but it's the physical attempt so through relocation yeah not necessarily just physically but in in a class sense as well so Mm. oh yeah yeah you know Nicholson basically plays this character who leaves a life of affluence. He leaves Washington, a rich family in Washington, a family mm. of musicians, of which he is one of. Yes. A very good musician with yeah, potential, yeah. who could have sort of maybe assailed his own heights as a musician into the world of music and yeah. playing. He's a, he's a pianist. And and he, he leaves that life. He, mm. he, he finds that life stifling. And he removes himself from one social strata to another, to the sort of blue-collar American Midwest. Yeah, you know? yeah. Man's work. Hoping
1: to find solace in, in you know, I guess what he would perceive to be the, the real people, Yeah, right? common yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, wrapping chains around poles oh, and that's getting oil
0: all over him and playing cards and drinking and shagging yeah. around. And <laughs> it's, you know, what I find so impactful about that is it, it's sort of what you have said there is like these attempts to find meaning are so misguided and almost based on these ridiculous caricatures of people below you yeah you know what i mean these yeah. class caricatures mm. the sort of freedoms that they have by not having to worry about you know the pressures i guess the pressures of coming from a wealthy family and
1: what that, yeah. that does to you social pressures. yeah like. i
0: mean those things by no means you know they're, they're, they're not like they're still important they can mm. still cause damage i'm not saying that they're things that should be ignored but mm. this idea that he thinks that people below him have got I don't know. It's an interesting point, but what the film slowly does is it, I guess, sort of in the true style that's true to form for New Hollywood. Is the pacing isn't sort of concerned with revealing things immediately. Yeah, it's about yeah. drip feeding this throughout the narrative, and he, and it's mostly done through via Jack Nicholson's shoulders. You know, he shoulders yeah. a lot of the film's thematic weight, definitely, and yeah. in the interactions that he has with others, and you slowly start to piece together this life. So you have no idea that he's. Come from a wealthy background. No, no, no. You have no idea what the source of this sort of attitude that he has that has driven him to sort of alienate everyone around him mm. to be uh, to just dis- frequently display sort of misogynistic attitudes and behavior to yeah, women. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess in that way, I think it's really important that Raffleson's vision and Nicholson's vision, because I think they work very closely on this film as they did with uh, I think three or four subsequent other films. Oh, okay. It's also worth noting it's his first big screen performance. Well, like his as a, in a leading role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is crazy because he just looks so fucking confident I oh, <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. he was just the perfect guy for the
1: era right oh man totally um, yeah.
0: but you know it, it sort of drip feeds these ideas about yeah. his backstory yeah. in a way that not only sort of is emblematic of the time and this new approach to storytelling uh, but also really important to the themes and ideas of the film mm. because it is about that rudderlessness that lack of knowing anything and as an audience member you are with him on that journey because yeah. you have to stick with him to find out why he's like this. It mm. doesn't justify it by any stretch of the imagination. No. But you can start to sort of peel back the layers of a person that is just clearly fucking broken. Yeah. And his attempts to fix himself, as you say earlier, are just misguided. Yeah, fruitless. And fruitless. You know, he sort of sinks into vice, you know, yeah. decadence, you know, but sort of like a dusty sort of lower-class version of decadence, which mm. is drink, drinking cheap beer, going bowling, you yeah. know. And it doesn't give him any anything. You feel that emptiness. Yeah. Which I think is a real hallmark of the most impactful existential films. Is that you feel there's a shared sense of emptiness between you and the screen, the character on the screen. Yeah. And um, I remember when that, that the film ended in that scene because he's playing piano, isn't he, on the truck, on the back yeah, of the truck. Yeah,
1: that's right, yeah.
0: It's just, I remember thinking, like, fucking hell,
1: like... <laughs> just just hits you and it just lingers with you and it does that at uh, that last moment when he, he gets in the truck on the uh, that logger's truck right? yeah and it, the guy and it's just a conversation they're like are you you cold do you want a jacket and he's like no no, no i'm fine like i'm good i've got i've got what i need yeah <laughs> and he's given his wallet to his missus as well oh yeah cause he just a, leaves doesn't he yeah yeah he's literally just yeah. got nothing um crazy and very uh, you can identify with him but you can and you can also sort of see his behaviour as as abhorrent as well at the Mm. same time and Mm. you're really kind of like get where you're coming from you're not helping yourself mate but he has by the end you know he's smelling shit everywhere he's going and he's started to check his shoe Mm. right ever so slightly it's such a shame that you don't get to see him properly experience meaning which is really impactful in itself just not seeing that I think
0: well I think it sort of ties really nicely with what you said right at the start of the discussion regarding the film is that the the sort of ceaseless pursuit of that meaning will get you nowhere Mm. necessarily yeah yeah and if if you are relying on yourself to find that meaning and only yourself yeah you are probably not going to get the
1: happiness that you so desperately crave no, and it, we've talked about this film already, but it does sort of tie in a little bit into into the wild where, you know, the oh, big right. end where he's like, fuck, I need other people. I actually need other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can find meaning naturally and I don't need to look for it myself because that's not how you find it. It, mm-hmm. it, it comes to you. Like if you if you just sort of let it wash over you as an experience and, and a social experience, then it can come to you naturally, perhaps like later on that night where you're just like, that was a that was a fucking good, that was a good day. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I, that's yeah. what I sort of think. And that, that's the way I sort of try and live as much as possible. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. No, I think it, like, you
0: know, he, he, Nicholson's character, he, you know, he, he thinks that the way to find meaning is by rejecting everyone, pushing everyone away, as we've said earlier. Mm. Um, yeah, I think in the process of making yourself vulnerable, do you probably get the sense of warmth and meaningness mm. that you might be lacking? I yeah. don't know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a great film. Good stuff. Uh, it's often overlooked. When people talk about the great films of New Hollywood, certainly it's in, you know um, that film is always overlooked, and yeah. I don't know why. I only became aware of it, I think I was sort of just mindlessly trawling the internet looking... Just, I just do that looking at for DVDs and Blu-rays to buy I'm a loser. <laughs> and that was one that came up and I did a little bit of research and I remember a few people talking about it at uni whose opinions I really valued and I thought well I've completely forgot about this and then uh. just watched it and it just yeah it's made a real impact to me and is easily I think one of the definitive films of that era. Uh,
1: Okay, yeah. I
0: think. Liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good
1: good experience watching it for the first time, and I encourage you to do the same.
0: Agreed, yeah. It ties into that era so beautifully in the sense that people are wanting those reflective experiences, Mm. you know, Uh, and trying to understand why they feel this way. Yeah. I mean, we've touched on this before about sort of new Hollywood. I think, (laughs) you know, it's an era that has a real impact on me, and I'm sure you as well, because I obviously never stopped talking about it, but... Just quickly before we move on, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nicholson's character is sort of emblematic of that uh, desire of the younger generations' need to find meaning because yeah. they're probably those people that have been brought up in those sort of white picket fence <laughs> parts of the world and told by this rigid American, sort of very conservative at the time, ideology that this is the best place in the world and it's not yeah. you know, there's faultless. <laughs> and these people are starting to realise actually this isn't the case. And yeah. I think he's. You know, we. I think I said the Taxi Drive was the most defining example of that era and I think this film is definitely up there on a par in a way that's perhaps more relatable. Nifty. Good. Right. Go on there, Ben. You've got another yes. shoot.
1: Uh, okay, so this is something I've been thinking about this past week because I knew the topic was coming up. I do think that most films, broadly speaking, have a, a tinge of existentialism about them. Perhaps more focused and l- 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 more focused on... S- a particular sort of type of uh, of angst, I guess. Uh, okay, but films that aren't chiefly concerned with it can still have it peppered, yeah, within them because that's sort of what f- a lot of films are—is they're they're meant to be life affirming and they're meant to sort of maybe reshape the way you think about a certain yeah, subject. So, what is the
0: sort of meaning of a great film if it's not going to do that? I mean, all yeah, this is going to sound a bit sort of wanky, but all great art should do that. It should make you think deep more deeply about a certain subject yeah, so yeah. or encourage further investigation to, into another subject
1: definitely yeah and with that in mind uh i don't know if anyone would have seen this uh it's <laughs> i've got a, a shoehorn another danny Boyle. <laughs> <into> <laughs> it's it. only a matter of time yeah i was gonna do, yeah i was weighing up i was like should i do sunshine or should i do millions i'm gonna do millions right i don't
0: think i've seen it i was you mentioned it before we started recording i'm trying to give mm. us a sort of
1: over brief overview see if okay. it jigs the memory so it's about uh, a family from Manchester, uh, especially the sort of seven-year-old, the youngest of two brothers, Damien. Okay, and he's obsessed with saints, um, right? And he sounds like uh, a legend. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he, um, he's a very kind of he subscribes a lot to sort of. Uh, religious ideology like quite a lot but he's seven years old right so it's very it's played very innocently right and he's a very he's kind of delighted by the idea of of a saint effectively and um his mum's died right so and so his dad played by James Nesbitt <laughs> oh, okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah he's in a lot of kind of middle of the road police procedural stuff now yeah but, yeah um, he's really good in this actually so his dad is bringing him up on, on his own so he's him and his brother Anthony are kind of getting bought up on their own uh, and yeah the film's just about um them finding a big duffel bag full of money uh, that falls seemingly out of the sky and Damien thinks it's from God right and his brother is like no this is because of oh I should should mention also the England is adopting the euro Right. Okay, (laughs) and that's why they find the money because actually, what's happened is, is the British pounds are getting burnt, and they're on a train, and it gets robbed, and one of the duffel bags full of money gets thrown from the train. Um, But Damien, being like seven and kind of obsessed with saints, uh, thinks it thinks it's from God, basically. Um, Yeah so the reason i want to talk about it you might be thinking like well i haven't uh, seen it it doesn't jog a yeah. memory
0: but i'm interested to hear your view on it there's All just the same
1: there's a couple of scenes which really like it's a family film by and large but there's just a couple of scenes that really lapse into the uh the, the clash between it was existentialism and what was the other one with the essentialism essentialism and existentialism right uh and one of them is uh their their dad finds out about the money and he's gonna take it because his house has just been burgled and he has to take he's like I, I, we need this money now right and it's just there's this moment where seven-year-old damien's like it's wrong you can't do this and he just says to him it's like fucking heartbreaking out of nowhere he goes look around you damien we're on our own like we, no one is looking out for us <laughs> uh, mm. And it's just you can see it's a James Nesbitt performance. But you can <laughs> see, like in this guy's, he's just so broken. It's the first time he really kind of got to think, like, shit. This guy's actually like lost his wife. And yeah, he's lost. He's lost a lot of the things that he previously attached meaning to, and he's left with nothing but this sort of existential dread. Kind of dread. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he's and he's expressing that expressing it to a seven year old son. Who's so delighted by the idea that there's a path in front of you, and it's just heartbreaking, right? Yeah, and, and he does mention his mum as well. He goes, "Well, mum wouldn't want you to," and he just says to him, "It's horrible." He just looks him square in the eye. He goes, "Your mum's dead, right? She's dead, Damien, and you'll never see her again." It's fucking like, and it's this is a family film, like it's yeah, really, really yeah. horrendous. To this, it just popped into my into my own head like a couple of a couple of days ago. Um... And so the the film, out of nowhere, starts to deal with the um, the the way that, like, death and the way that religion can kind of play into how a seven-year-old might perceive the world. Mm. (laughs) And as he's growing up, uh, he's getting introduced to all these sort of, like, more lofty adult ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But then... Really quickly, sorry, I'm banging, no no going go on for it. about Yeah, this. no, no. Um, it. Again, slight slight spoilers here, but it's not really a spoiler. I mean, if you do want to watch, I, I would encourage worry. you to watch. Yeah, it yeah, yeah I will really, 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 a really sweet little film. The Damien character sort of imagines saints walking around, uh, and you you kind of so you can see them interacting with him and sort of giving him advice. <laughs> so he sees his mum on the rail and on a railway line. Yeah. And this is, it's a moment of realisation that he sees her as a bit of a saintly figure. Uh, okay. And it, it's going to sound very cheesy and very trite, what I'm about to say, but it really works in the context of the film, I promise you. She just says to him, he, he asks her, like, if you're a saint, what was your miracle? And you kind of know what she's going to say. She goes, it was you. Uh, and it's just like... Say the a- money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that cash, that big bag of cash. Yeah. Um, the
0: nine-inch dildo in my bedside drawer. <laughs>
1: oh dear What um, if you just said that and the yeah, film just ended. Yeah. <laughs> Uh oh no oh dear I love that film dearly that's how. horrendous sorry yeah. <laughs> no 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 it's fine but
0: Boyle man. is great at that Boyle is great because those films in his early career mm. um, I mean I haven't seen it so I don't, obviously I can't speak about it too much <laughs> we're well informed here at Sunday the the Um <laughs> but no I He's really good at that. He's yeah. really good at making those things palatable. Yeah, yeah, he really um, is as whereas well. Whereas other's would be like really saccharine mm. and the kind of film you sort of expect to see in like a like playing in an old people's home. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, but
1: it helps there from Manchester. There's something really sincere about yeah. that accent. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, yeah, he yeah, you know, loves it. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. um it's that a marriage all of a sudden of existential ideas, you know, the idea that the, that your your life is is out of your hands, in a, no sorry, um the idea that you, life is in your own hands in a sense mm. and then the idea that that doesn't mean that miracles can't happen and actually what we should be considering miracles as things that happen every day, but they, because just because they don't mean something broadly, it can still mean something to you, mm. and that bit where she's like you're my miracle, I just think that is just a wonderful kind of concept, you know yeah, um, yeah great film, check it out if you haven't seen it Lovely. Yeah, yeah. You, as
0: always Ben you uh mm-hmm. you you always make films you make me want to watch them straight away. So yeah, I'll put it on the list. <laughs> yeah, do Cause it. Cuz I, I love Danny Boyle, you know? Yeah. I, I I really love him. Um when he hits, he really hits for me. So it's a charming, I'll check it out. Charming little film that. And when was it what era, what when was it made? 2004. Okay, so sort of early 2000s, yeah. yeah that's yeah. the kind of movie that, the kind of time where that movie would work in, I think. Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to go slightly further afield from Manchester oh. with my pick. Skegness. Um, Skegness.
1: Skegnes, yes, <laughs>
0: that's where Ron
1: Seals headquarters are, I believe. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just many many a memory of sort of my eyes moving away from the beach to that that flag, the Ron Seal flag, <laughs> the Ron Seal flag just flapping in the the Skeggy wind. Um, no, the film I'm. Uh, the film I want to talk about is Akira Kurosawa's Akiru. Right. Okay. So, in the very much in the same way that you like to shoehorn Boyle in, I like to shoehorn Kurosawa in. Yeah, nice. Because um, oh, just yeah. <laughs> I could go on. But <laughs> no, no, no. So the film is essentially about the act of finding meaning in your final moments or final months. So the film follows a character played by Takashi Shimura, uh, who is a bit of a Kurosawa mainstay. I mean, mm. a lot of people attribute a lot of the praise towards Toshiro Mifune obviously is the big guys he the big sort of Japanese, you know, the big actor of Japanese cinema of the time. But I think Shimura is not far behind in terms of not necessarily, he lacks maybe the star power and the sort of presence of Mifune because Mifune would play these sort of, you know, these big, powerful, char- flawed characters yeah. They always have like the loud, make the loudest noise, bang <laughs> around the most, you know. I mean, yeah. he's one of my fa- absolute favourite actors, so I'm not saying he doesn't deserve that, but Shimura gets this type, tar- gets this role to sort of flex his own muscles. Okay. So Shimura plays this guy, this lonely soul's etched out this life, thirty years of his life, I should say, mm. um, in this local government position. Right. Uh, and it's a really bureaucratic institution, um, painfully bureaucratic. You know, the way that he Kurosawa displays that is just captures the sort of frustration. If you've ever tried to get in touch with a a local council or something (laughs) like that, it just captures it. But it's a place that's devoid of passion or colour and a place that rewards a sense of detachment. You know, you will succeed through being detached. Yeah. So if you don't consider the implications of what you've done, so in this case, he works like a local institution that obviously will impact the lives of people who live in the area. If you can detach yourself from that, you will succeed. Okay. At the expense of your humanity, yeah, and he's yeah. obviously just coasted and drifted through these thirty years of his life. Obviously, a sad man, a sad soul, but yeah. someone that's committed to this life all the same.
1: Sounds sounds very post-war. This, yes, so, very. Yeah. So, uh, our, yeah, po- you know, the idea of the soldier is effectively a very—it's very similar notion. Yes, yeah. it is. I mean, it's it's a very much uh, a
0: lot of a lot of Kurosawa's pre-samurai films, or I mean, I'm not sure if his pre-samurai film, but there's, his noirish sort of films, very much. Post-war Japan is the backdrop. Yeah. Mm. You know, obviously it would be because it's yeah, post-war, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's d- deliberate narrative device. Yeah, yeah, um, to explore a lot of the ideas that are, a lot of the themes and ideas that Japan is going through in that time. Yeah, um, and in this case, Shimura's character, after all this time in his life, living in you know, living silently, having this job, he is told that he has stomach cancer. Oh man! And I think it's six months he has to live. And upon finding that out he begins to try and find a sense of meaning in his life. So Mm. reflecting backwards uh, at his job, what he's done, the legacy he leaves behind, and also looking forward. Like, how do I, after sort of looking back on my life and thinking, oh, fucking hell, I've not really done a lot here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) um, How can I suddenly give myself this sense of meaning? So the film sort of charts this journey, this path to moral enlightenment. Mm. I mean, I don't want to sort of spoil the film too much, but sort of have to a little bit yeah um the film sort of charts this journey and what he does to to achieve that moral enlightenment and then he dies and Mm. then the rest of the film is his co-workers colleagues discussing his legacy and the meaning the the reasons trying to sort of ascertain the reasons from a dead man why he did the thing that he does in the film okay so he basically he tries to find meaning through decadence so he like tries partying uh and that just sort of deepens his woe because yeah. he can't connect. He doesn't, you know. And he tries various other things. For the act of sort of brevity, I'm going to be a sort of shoot through, but mm. he eventually realizes that he can use his position as a government official to build a play park okay. in this area yeah. where he lives. And this area is like, you know, classic sort of post war. That's why I'm saying classic because nah, I've not yeah, I've not yeah. seen it. Classic not been Post-war. there. Yeah, yeah classic yeah. post war Japan, you know, you've mm. been there. <laughs> uh, but no, the, the way again we talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, your 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 um idea of these things is sculpted by the films you watch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And I feel like with Kurosawa it's honest and earnest enough to sort of say that. So yeah. But um it's obviously like I think it's like a bomb crater with water in it. It's like really wet and dirty and horrible, this patch of land. Yeah. And he endeavours to build a park for the kids
1: in it. Uh, okay. For local children. It's like dis- uh, creation through destruction, right? Ooh. Destruction is a form of creation. There you go. Oh baby. There mm-hmm. we go. That's it. It's over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. Uh
1: so it's this idea of
0: you know, finding meaning through benefiting others, helping others. Yeah. You know, so this person that's lived this sheltered life, who's excelled in his career, by sheltering himself from the Impact of his actions at work by detaching himself from the world and almost having this robotic viewpoint, okay. which is encouraged by the bureaucratic systems of government. Mm. And he pours all of his remaining energy into just giving this community, the children of this community, something to enjoy, something yeah. to cherish. Oh man! So I don't know, like, and it's I guess that sort of through the modern lens, it sounds cheesy, but this film is honestly. It's the fucking blueprint. I mean, I think it's been copied quite recently. I think there's a Bill Nye film
1: oh, really? um, that's okay. out that's basically
0: an English version of Akira. Oh, right. So, it's, and it's a story is sort of as old as time that moral reawakening when you've got sort of when you're facing death. Yes, okay. and I guess I don't think I'm facing death. I no, hope I'm not facing <laughs> no, no, death, but no, yeah. if I was, it would encourage, I guess, that one to, to reflect on your mm. life in a more visceral way. Yeah, and and the way he does that is, and then he obviously. As I said before, he comes to this conclusion that he, he wants to help people. He wants to contribute positively yeah, to people's lives. It's almost the opposite of Jack Nicholson's character. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It works as quite a good counterpoint because mm, yeah. um, it, it covers those same themes, you know, looking back on your life and... You know, perhaps I think you know, by detaching himself from the impact of his job, he's also detaching himself from those questions. Yeah, yeah. from those sort of existential pangs that are probably residual that hide bubbling underneath. Mm, and yeah, he sort of covers in like paper and the clacking of his typewriter and the you know, the, the sort of glasses on the nose approach. You know, being very <laughs> sort of nothing gets by him. You know, and it's but it's it serves nothing really. It's yeah. not serving anyone positively. Mm. And then he, yeah, I don't know. It's it's such a beautifully. I mean, Shimura's performance is just, you know, he just plays this, you know, a guy who's sort of he starts off hunched and it almost. I mean, it's black and white, but you you can just sense this sallowness to his complexion, to who he is. I don't think that's necessarily makeup. That's just performance. Yeah, it's amazing how much performance can sort of add that color even yeah. in, in a black and white film
1: no definitely yeah. um
0: and as the film progresses he sort of becomes more alive the more he realizes the path to meaning is through giving other people hope or helping others yeah the more he sort of comes alive in himself yeah yeah and it sounds trite now as i've said it does sound trite but it's such a perfect movie again because you mentioned there was that sort of post-war thing it ties in
1: with the film as well mm. i think you know it, those sort of themes can be explored in a sort of subtle enough manner that that when you watch it, it doesn't appear Mm. obvious or saccharine or Mm. uh, I think it's all, it's all about how you, how you present Mm. them. And I can imagine, I've not seen it uh, admittedly. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. I can, I, I I can imagine um, he, he would do that in a quite a subtle fashion. So yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, Kurosawa can just, I mean, so everyone talks about samurai films and rightly so, because they're fucking some of the best things you'll ever see. Mm. Um, (laughs) there might be a degree of bias there but you know he's the man you know his noirs are just I I think by setting his films in that period and that time there's a real sort of introspective look at the the Japanese condition in that particular period of time that sort of westernization of Japanese culture is encroaching on certain values Mm, that's not to say that Japan before that didn't have problems Yeah, yeah. but I mean you know that idea that the bureaucracy of government and you know Making things sort of inaccessible and mm. difficult, and all it takes is just one person to sort of have a moral reawakening to actually use the power that he has to instigate change, which I think is a a, a, a time as, as we've said, a timely message, and it's yeah. so it's inch perfect, uh, really is a. I mean, people are saying you can't have a perfect film, but you can have films that are perfect to you. I think, and Nick Kira is one of them. Uh, English translation: To live.
1: Ah, oh, there you go. There you
0: go. So. Mm. Nothing gives your life meaning like helping others. That's it. That Contrast is, that nicely meaning. with the opening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> the sort of bleakness of five easy pieces as well. <laughs> um, that's wonderful. That's that's what, that's a, a message. A, a clear and concise way of just expressing some
0: hope, really. Yeah, well. and I think it almost appeals to that fantasy element as well, because there is something vaguely fantastical about it. I think it's maybe the way Kurosawa presents that, environment the post-war time environment which he lives in the workplace that he inhabits yeah yeah the the nature of the job and what the job encourages you to do yeah and then all of a sudden this moral reawakening it feels like a fantasy but it's still okay. but it, it's a fantasy that only it doesn't detach itself from the realism of the situation yeah it sort of just grips you more than anything else than yeah, just one of the best things about the movie well, alongside that- takashi shimura who again
1: would that maybe that sort of fantastical element be intentional in the sense that you're coming to terms with the main characters coming to terms with the the fact that it's sort of the end of the road for them and being, being at peace with that Maybe that would kind of introduce naturally a, a, the, the reality of the situation would weirdly drift away mm. as, as they're less fixated on it and more accepting of it. I don't know. Yeah. and it, mm. What I love so much about the
0: film is, like I mentioned earlier, is that then the rest of the film is about his colleagues talking about him after yeah. he's died. So they're drinking after his funeral, oh, chatting okay. about him and chatting about the legacy. Yeah, yeah, And it eventually sort of encourages them to think about themselves and their position and what they do but it's sort of unclear how long that will impact them for. Oh,
1: okay. Because so I guess
0: yeah. when you when you, when the finality of your situation is given to you in such a stark fashion as in mm. you're going to die soon. Yeah, yeah. It's only then that you can maybe pull yourself out of it. Right. Okay. And you sort of hope that, that would influence others to do the same, but yeah. you're unsure as to how
1: powerful that impact would be. That's interesting because you yeah. you would think that the easy way out would to be that it's a, a kind of Permanent change, yeah. Uh, like you say, we you you have that phrase a uh, temporal mor- temporary moral realignment, yeah. Uh, and it's easier to not acknowledge that. But mm. maybe this film does a little bit. Mm. Uh, the the fact that we can all all have moments where we think I'm going to change my life, yeah, yeah. And then gradually, because well, I guess because we're not suffering from stomach cancer, you you fall back into routine and, and life goes on. There you go.
0: Yeah, it's interesting isn't it because I think you know films can inspire great change but you you know you still have to put the fucking hard yards in after that right. <laughs> and it's yeah. all too easy to have over long showers and watch porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't it? In the shower. In the shower, yeah. <laughs> no. Nice. Uh so so that's Akiru and uh, a couple of other films. Mm. All about the ideas of existentialism, ah. existential ideas. Yeah, I don't know. It's some weirdly cathartic talking about films of the silk.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, certainly, would encourage me to watch more of them. Yeah, uh, based on my fascination with Five Easy Pieces and what you were saying about Akira, mm. uh, I'm definitely going to seek that one out for sure. Yes, um, because I think it's important to digest stuff like this, even if at face value it might be. Quite difficult mm. actually it's really rewarding at the same time because it can be quite yeah it can be quite life-affirming yeah and it can force you can force you into into thinking about big big things but you know if you're lucky enough if the film's good enough then it will provide some kind of resolution not necessarily answers but resolution for sure
0: yeah i mean i'm going to sort of go back into the terms of uh the territory sorry of armchair philosophy but if you think about something so much it makes it seem lofty and and inaccessible Mm. and i think if it's one thing that a good film can do or any piece of media or even a discussion with someone but in the context of film yeah is that it can make you realize that those things like akiru that they're not actually out of reach no no you know and they and they're actually closer than you think yeah maybe we don't have to be quite so cynical no, yeah. As yeah. Perhaps, there's perhaps we. I mean, I and myself, I'm very guilty of slipping into. Is because it it's difficult sometimes not to yeah. be? But um, I think if it's anything, films like that can show us is that sometimes they can show us that the like in Five Easy Pieces, the the dangers of of submerging yourself in it and hunting it ceaselessly. Yeah. But there is also there's also hope. Yeah. And I think films like Akira and even Kaufman, I think,
1: offers some kind of hope mm. somewhere along the line. It's funny because you I, I do I am a sort of slight believer in that you can um believe that your life is your own and yeah it's up to you. But that doesn't mean you can't also like I was saying before you, you can't you you've got to accept that there are things we don't know as well. Yeah. And they go they go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's it's about what you do know and what you do know hopefully you can control and then what you don't know you've got to just Wait, I, yeah. I guess it's just a, it's a waiting <laughs> game, um, yeah. and it's funny because I was it's my um, I'm sure my, my parents are both listening to that. hello, yeah. yeah shout yeah. out to them. Really well, better be. Yeah, yeah, I was brought up at least for some part of my life as a, as a Christian. Okay, so, and it's funny those sort of values have never really left me. Yeah, um, and I and there's that part of my life which I kind of hold still. Yeah, 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 and I've i sort. I feel like I've weaved it a little bit with, like what I was explaining earlier with the you know science, and my fascination with that, and I really think they do sort of they do meld together a little bit better than a lot of people might think. Yeah, and um, you know, other other films that I watched that I haven't mentioned have kind of sculpted that fascination, and I'm thinking of another fucking Boyle one at the moment. But uh, anyway, of course. Go on. i will going to quickly mention. Go on. Yeah. I do want to just mention Sunshine quickly, and. the very. So I have cool. seen this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a, th- a notion in that film that the sun is a god, right? And that's cool because it's a scientific artifact, right? Yeah, a, the, a star, but it treats it like a god at the same time. And I don't know. I I, I think that's quite a interesting way of looking at yeah stuff yeah, yeah. like that. You know, maybe maybe your idea of of god can be scientific, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Who yeah, knows? I'll anyway, I'll shut up now. Uh, I'll save a Sunshine podcast for another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Still looking for that Sunshine episode. Yeah, yeah I really am.
1: <laughs> I'm pushing for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. Questing the Cinematic
0: Okay then, so you made it to the outro. Mm. Thank you very much for listening as always. Thank uh, you. Um, we do like our lofty topics here at Cinderboys to Uh We admit we're perhaps not as watertight as <laughs> others on the area but we give it a good go and we yeah. appreciate you sticking with us.
1: Yeah, yeah, we thanks for, you know, sticking with us through the times in which we find the big words that are kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. To, to some other podcasters probably at the tip of their tongues but to me they're like fucking buried. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I've got to pause for a little bit. <laughs>
0: um so, uh next week we're going to continue our uh, journey through the highbrow and we're going to be discussing not necessarily a film, or an idea. We're going to be discussing a film production company.
1: Interesting.
0: So we're going to be discussing the work of Canon Films. Yes. A production company who shot to stratospheric heights during the 1980s (laughs) for their no-holds-barred, both-barrels approach to filmmaking and distribution. They have been responsible for so many films yeah. across so many genres mm. you know they're one of the few production companies that can say we worked with chuck norris and jean-luc goddard yeah. not in the same film <laughs> no i, I mean no, that I, would have been amazing i wish I, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah another life maybe yeah but um they're just one of the most bonkers and fascinating production companies of all time mm. very much emblematic of the era as well mm. uh we will be discussing that uh, a few of the great films that they made yeah uh, so focusing mostly on their action output, I think, because yeah. by God, they've made some corkers, Ooh, maybe. Uh, the reasons for that, for their popularity, and how, I guess, your sort of relationship with that sort of style of filmmaking and that era is reflected on now, and how we've picked them up, because we weren't born in the 80s, but no, yeah, yeah. we've picked these films up and, um, I don't know, wore them. Yeah. Badge of honor, uh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> Embrace
1: them, and that's uh, the better way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I prefer prefer war. War. I like the idea of literally like wearing a Blu-ray, an Arrow release Blu-ray. <laughs>
0: As it's a topic of discussion uh, around mullets, sweaty abs, and machine gun fire, mm. it seems completely appropriate to bring our dear friend Lee Markham along for the ride. Yes. He's someone that I would say is the reason why I'm so into canon films.
1: He's sort of very much a sort of master of... Yeah. shitty action films yeah he's a treasure trove and he, he'll kind of he, he'll pull one out of the bag when you least expect it yeah, not, yeah. not literally well sometimes uh, he has to well, yeah, so yeah, yeah 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 I spoke too soon but yeah he can apply uh, the plot of a lot of these films to any given situation which I find fascinating yes <laughs> uh, so we're very much looking forward to
0: having him on he's mm. going to be losing his boys to cinema virginity I mean, he's been, always been a boy, but he's never been on this podcast no no so we're very much looking forward to having him on and we'll be again dissecting all of these great works and you know not necessarily standing up for the, the the politics of the films but i think there's a few films that me and Lee are very fond of that we'll yeah. probably want to discuss as well so. absolutely looking so, forward to it Yes, yeah, so uh sometime next week i guess for that one in the meantime see you later see you later Thanks. not that shit <laughs> <laughs> remember that
1: i do yeah. Yeah.